0: Hello, everyone. Uh, Case number three is appeal number 231345, Avanzalia Solar SL versus Goldwind, USA Incorporated. And good morning, Mr. Doby.
1: Yeah, good morning, Your Honor. If I could introduce my colleagues, uh, uh, and may it please the court. Uh, I'm with uh, Ricardo Ugarte, Rebecca Guzman, and Gianna Santoro, all for Avanzalía Solar and Avanzalía, Panama. Um, well,
0: uh, we welcome them as we welcome everyone. And because that was so kind of you, I want you to get your full 15 minutes. So whoever is manning the clock, kindly give... Um, Mr. Doby, his full 15 minutes.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. There are two aspects of the district court's decision that I'd like to address this morning in, in my time. The, the first is the court's reading of Illinois law on tortious interference. And the second aspect is the court's decision to apply comedy and collateral estoppel to the Panama Agency determination uh, in this case. And if I could begin first with the, with the district court summary judgment on Avanzalia's tortious interference claim. And as, as your honors know, the district court found that uh, Avenzalla had not demonstrated that Goldwyn had directed uh, any conduct at third parties to breach their contract. And based upon that, and relying on cases like Fuller and, and Section 766 of the Restatement, the court found that the, the, the claim was insufficient. What the district court missed and the basis of the appeal uh on this on this portion of the claim is that both Illinois law the 7th circuit and the restatement all have an alternative way to show tortious interference and that is section 766a of the restatement and uh, may,
2: may 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 i'm please, sorry I, I'm, yeah
0: because um but let me just ask you as to the tort claim that's based on the post access conduct and uh your citation of fuller which you just noted yes your honor um and you cited fuller uh for the proposition uh that under illinois law it's clear that the plainest performance must be rendered truly impossible uh not just more burdensome not just more expensive And what I want you to tell us is, do we have that here? Um, uh, Or uh, do the actions here in delaying responses or um, slow walking approvals just hinder performance, make it more burdensome, but not make it impossible?
1: Yeah, I understand the question, Your Honor, and, and, and you're 100% right. The, the Fuller mentions that in passing, our, our lead cases, Sholwen and Havaco versus Sumitomo, those, those are kind of our, our lead cases. But to address your point, it's fundamental here. By depriving us access to the substations, my client's performance was absolutely impossible. The, the, our solar plants could not function, we could not perform, and that's actually admitted in the answer, which we quote in full in our opening brief on, on page 48. Without access to the, to the substation, Your Honor, there's no way that we could perform. It's a complete fundamental uh, breakdown in terms of be- being able to perform, completely impossible. And I think that the, the question is the right one because it it, it is that distinction, Your Honor, that, that basically makes the, di- the distinction in this case versus some other cases where it's just a situation where it's more burdensome, more expensive to perform, things like that. Judge Rovner, in your Amadala case, uh, that's exactly what it was. It was a situation where, where because of an interference, uh, it became, the, the plaintiff obtained a smaller amount when they sold their company to, uh, uh, to a third party, so it was more expensive. Those are the, those kind of cases. But where it's completely impossible like this, and, and we do have that, and, and
3: let's walk through with specificity about which, which contracts were completely impossible, just to make sure that I understand yes, completely. Your Honor. Um, you, you've got these five PPAs. Yes, Your Honor. Um, but it se- seems to me we're just talking about four of those that were post-access agreement. Is that right? Or well, do you have it inverted?
1: So, so uh, all five of them. It was it became impossible for us to perform because we're I mean This is a a solar plant that has to connect into the substation and without the connection Then it's completely impossible to to perform any of those five Contracts it was impossible for us to fulfill our license agreement with ASAP. It was impossible for us to go forward uh, whatsoever, I mean nothing to do with this, you know, massive investment that, that our client had made without Access to the to the to the substation.
3: The license agreement with ASAP was that a contract or is that?
1: It's a just a, a license. Well, we think it's a license agreement. Um, I, I think even Goldwyn refers to, mm-hmm. in in its brief, they dropped a footnote in their uh, in their opposition where they talk about some other the wind plants and so on, and they gave you some public sites to how those. Uh, eventually, they had licenses with the agreements as well. I think they even call them license agreements or agreements with Atessa. Those are the same type of agreements that that we had. So we had a, agreements with with a license agreement with with ASAP. We had a what's known as a certificate of viability with with uh, atessa.
3: you th- you think that's a contract too that would fall under this impossibility theory
1: we We, we actually believe that that all of those, as well as our right to connect to, the, uh, 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 to for the, what's known as the spot market. So like a lot of, and this is why it's important.
3: How, how, are, how are those contracts if they had not yet come into being?
1: So, so you have the right, as a, as a, when you have this alternative energy, solar power, they're trying to encourage it. Every single kilowatt that you can produce is sold as a matter of law to the spot market. And so that's so our ability to sell to the spot market was absolutely interfered with as a result of this, as well as with our PPA contracts, as well as with the uh, the license.
3: Do are do you risk conflating 766A and 766B? Then 766B is about expectancies. Yes. Which seem to be what this spot the issue with the the spot. Market customers is about
1: yeah I I th- I think your honor raises a a, a point that seven six six B might fit better in in many situations if it was it was kind of unknown perspective, our uh, view is is because it's it's so definite you connect and you're going to sell every bit of your your power that it's it's not just a uh, uh, it's not just a possibility it's a like you know it's 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 a certainty and I and I commend you to their answer which we quote in. in on, on paragraph 48 I'm sorry page 40 48 of our brief where they state specifically that they understood that connection to the El Coco substation and without it meant we could not sell to PPA customers to the spot market it, it goes back to Judge Rohner your initial question about impossibility the, the whole thing is is completely impossible without that uh, without that, uh, that that connection
2: there are no Illinois cases, though, that have extended this impossibility theory to Restatement Seven Six Six B.
1: Yeah, I read that in in my friend Mr. Blonder's brief, and I, I respectfully disagree. I think the Scholwin case uh, absolutely embraces uh, uh, the impossibility defense. It, it, it's a it's but the
2: a, impossibility defense is limited. I'm sorry. To the, the, impossi-
1: the, the impossibility Seven Sixty Six A, and then this court's Havico decision mm-hmm. also. Relies upon that, and we cite another case from the Northern District of Illinois. But Habako
2: again was dealing with claims of torturous interference with contracts. I'm saying, has it been extended? 766B.
1: Your Honor, there's not a 766B case. That's you're 100% right. I think the logic is is that it should extend to 766B. But the 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 important thing.
2: But didn't the Illinois Appellate Court already answer that question?
1: There's a there's some there's some mention in the Douglas Theater case mm-hmm. that they're skeptical about applying it to 766 B You're 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 correct on that your honor. What
2: about the Galinsky case where this? The, the appellate court made the determination that it would not extend 766 B
1: Yeah, I I your honor. I, I I I read all of those cases as, as being that uh, Essentially dicta as it related to that specific issue. I think the most important point that that the, this discussion reveals is the district court did not even engage with this impossibility uh, uh, position, which we are argued below. The
2: district I report, guess that's what I'm trying to sparse yeah, out. The yeah, claim the, for torturous interference of a contract, and then you also have claims for torturous interference of expectancies.
1: Correct, I'm right. trying
2: to distinguish with paths we're going if the impossibility theory extends to we torturous interference with expected if
1: it's your honor if if you find that if, that this is and we think you should that this is an impossibility situation um, even if it's just to the contract then the decision would have to be reversed because the district court did not even engage in this analysis there's a mention in his opinion he uses the word impossible he actually shut sites to show but he conflates and and, and in fairness to my friends at Goldwyn, he conflated and actually required, <clears throat> even in those instances, that we show that there's conduct directed to a third party. So I, I, from our perspective, then, I, I think it's-, it's
0: Forgive good. me. Forgive me. When you say he-
1: The district court, Your Honor.
0: Well, the district- wasn't the district court, Judge Ellis?
1: No, the the district court was uh, Judge Kennelly, Your Honor.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Right. Okay
1: yes to begin with. So okay there's, there's a site to show one there's a me- mention of the word impossible but the rest of his discussion about it is just I think it's just a single sentence do,
3: do, should it be it should from your perspective it be a reverse or a vacate in other words um, you know should we march through these different things that you say are contracts and determine what's a contract and what's not or let the district court do it in the first instance
1: I, I think it should be reversed and remanded your honor on, on the issue as it relates to tortious interference I think we've we've clearly alleged sufficient for uh, the impossibility. I think this court can make that determination just on, on the, the record here, um, and, and then-
2: How I are we mean, able to do that with regards to the contracts that were mentioned earlier, TAMIC, Parna, kadima all of the conduct that happened pre-assessment?
1: Yeah, is it, I'm not saying you have to decide that they were interfered with, Your Honor. I think the case has to be remanded for, for a trial. I mean, that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're asking for.
0: You, um, you know, you, you repeatedly argue in the brief that the evidence such as the undertaking agreement revol- uh, reveals a, a motive uh, to delay and deny access. But I've been wondering why that motive is relevant at all. Doesn't UEP1 have a right to demand that uh, Avanzalia comply with the precise requirements of the regulations before gaining access? And why would a motive to delay or deter access or to collude with others matter if all that UEP1 sought was strict compliance with the regulations?
1: So two points, Your Honor, my, and I know my time's limited. Um, no, no,
0: it's important. We'll give you it, the extra time. I appreciate
1: course. it, Your Honor, because I I think, it's, I think it's very important. So, as, as it relates to the motive, what we alleged and what we alleged in the district court is that the illegal undertaking provided the, the, the reason why there was never going to be any access. And the reason that's relevant is specifically in the rulings by the Panamanian regulator, and this is at A, A43 of our appendix, you'll see, uh, and it carries over, I think it's at A26 before, they argued repeatedly UEP 1, Goldwyn's. Uh, um, entity in, in Panama, they argued repeatedly that they were happy to provide access, that there was no problem with, with connection. That, that's the argument. And, and in fact, it was 100% the contemporaneous emails that we cited, as well as the document. It says no one is going to grant anybody else other than the three of us access. That's what, and this is a, this is, we had a Panamanian Supreme Court Justice, I think it's absolutely clear that that agreement is unlawful. It was concealed from ASEP and it directly contradicts. Um, e- even Goldwyn argued in their briefs below that the the determination that uh, that uh, the access agreement was a uh, blocked them was at odds with the finding of, of ASEP. So it goes directly to one of the key findings in the only resolution that the uh, uh, that the that the uh, both the district court uh, relied upon on this and collateral estoppel issue, and, and I know I've, I've got limited time on it, but essentially, Your honors, if I can, maybe I should reserve my remaining time.
0: Um, no, you're going to get your full time. You finish your thoughts.
1: Okay. So, Your Honor, the, as it relates to comedy and collateral estoppel, there was a fraud, and the only decision that was that's relied upon by the district court, and that's the July of, of uh, 2017 resolution. And that resolution said, yes, Avanzalia, you prepared electrical studies back in 2014, but we can't possibly, and the district court and, and, and Goldwyn repeatedly argued in the brief, it would be irresponsible for us to connect you to the substation if, unless you update these studies to take account- but,
3: but, but the July 2017 resolution ultimately, at the end of the day said, and so if you update these studies, you shall be granted access per the regulation so it it it, um it forced Goldwyn to grant access that's the meaning of the resolution what happened later is a different question but that's what the decision was
1: yes your honor it it did say that yes if you do all that you'll have to give access what argument is is that that entire process was a was a fraud because guess what you we had our studies back in 2014 and we were updating them as a result of supposedly others beginning construction. That's point one in twenty seventeen, and then number two that there were these five other plants that were that were going to begin um, uh, or actually had access contracts with um, with uh, uh, UEP one, the the Goldwyn entity. And both now of now,
0: now what, but Goldwyn argues that UEP one did not author the email. Uh, that was uh, that contained um, the alleged misrepresentation uh, to ASCP that New Solar Projects uh, had signed access agreements, and it was Avanzalia who attached that email uh, to the request for arbitration. So, if I mean, if UEP one never made the representation, how could one conclude that it obtained the judgment through fraud? And assuming, uh, forgive me, but and assuming any representation um, as to solar projects was false, uh, why would that be a material falsehood, given that the statement that there were wind projects was not false? And uh, probably that alone would have required an updated electrical study. Yes. I'm I'm just,
1: yeah. So let, let me Let me break that down, Your Honor. So, number one, there were other wind projects that had licenses, and that's what they attached to the brief from ASAP, Atessa, and so on. But no one else had an access agreement with the substation, with UEP1. Okay, no one else did. We filed, Avinzalia, I'm sorry, Avinzalia filed and said specifically, hey, you know, We've been told there's these other access contracts. We have we have a controversy. We've got a uh, you know we've got to bring this proceeding to start, Your Honor. But what happens then is number one, as it relates to these access contracts, Goldwyn or UEP One, this is Docket One Forty Eight at pages Four Seventy through Seventy Seven. We quote this in the brief. They endorse this. They say, Hey, Avanzalia you've got to go back, and you've got to redo your studies. You've got to, uh, uh, you've got to make changes and all the rest of this stuff because the, there's a resolution, this July 2017 resolution, you have to up, update it. So they endorse, they expressly endorsed this, even though, though they knew, Your Honor, that there was absolutely, none of them had access contracts with UEP. Their expert report, which is at A41 and 42, so of, I want to of, make
2: sure I have the record. So between 2013 and 2017, there were no access granted between that time, from the time of the studies to the time of the order in 2017?
1: No, no one else had an access agreement with UEP, okay? And, and only Goldwyn, only Gold, Goldwyn knew. So when back back to Judge Rovner, your question about, well, we submitted this saying, there's these others mm-hmm. with these access contracts. No one knew. I mean, they're the parties who who would sign the access agreements. Goldwyn knew whether they did or didn't have studies. And even now, they're not here telling you that that there was an access agreement with anybody else, okay, other than with the regulators. So, you know, the other plants, Judge Pryor, they would have, you know, a license or or whatever. But but an actual agreement, the same thing we were trying to get for the substation, there was no one else during that time period that had an access agreement. just, just, just us. So our studies. So I want to make van. sure I
2: understand. Just to follow Judge Roger's yes. question, the misrepresentation was made to, to whom?
1: So, so they have an expert report um, that is in the appendix. They he states that construction is beginning in 2017. That is then a finding of ASAP. So it's a misrepresentation to ASAP. The ASAP. Uh, uh, Group also the the administrative agency also said okay there's five access agreements or other access agreements we've got to make room for those none of that was true none of that was true okay and number three that they were supposedly ready willing and able to connect us that was a a theme throughout the proceedings and no one knew about the illegal uh, undertaking that actually said we're going to block it. No one knew about the emails that we've uncovered. They said where well, they said they're going to enforce this this uh, illegal agreement to block things. Um, I, your Honor, I know I, I was trying to reserve some some, some time.
0: You are going to get your reserve time. It's us who are trying to, you know.
1: Yeah, it's it's complicated, Your well, Honor. Ask,
0: I, I, it's asking you questions, and this is. Um, your opportunity and uh, you know that I will give you your time. The... So uh, thank
1: you. Okay, uh, Mr.
0: Blonder
3: yes.
0: I'm going to change your time to 20 minutes because um, I think uh, that would be a lot
4: uh, I reserve my right want- to suggest if that's a good idea or a bad idea, but I'll take it, Judge. Thank you. <laughs> you,
0: you would you want the 20? You want yes, 10? please.
4: I'd be happy to, Judge.
0: Just sit uh, down, whatever
4: you want to do. No. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, and I'd like to begin by acknowledging my colleagues, Mr. Lovett, and Ms. Al-Kaim, who are here with me, and Ms. Saracen, um, who's sitting in the second row. I have to give credit to Ms. Al-Kaim and Ms. Saracen, who are the principal authors of our brief. Um,
0: Thank, you. Thank you very much. My goodness, you both have posses. Give him back his 20, please. Because that's it's so nice to know who is who has worked so hard for this day.
4: May it please okay. this court. My name is Steve Blonder, and I'm here on behalf of the Apple Goldwyn Goldwind, USA. And I'm asking that this court affirm Judge Kennelly's grant of summary judgment. I'm going to start, I guess, with a couple things that Judge Rovner, you touched on one of your clients on one of your questions, but is fundamentally missing from their argument and their brief. They were only entitled to access if they complied with the regulations. That is beyond dispute. ASAP recognizes that, the regulations require that. They didn't comply. They knew from the beginning that they didn't comply. We have the email and the record, and it's in our short appendix from Mr. Ruiz, their consultant, at our short appendix at 42, where he told them in 2015. Where he says, "Good morning. The position's well founded. I point out that in the Avanzalea feasibility process, Atessa did not send a study to UEP." And then he continues and says. Gives them options of either you can go to ASAP or you can just get the studies for them to look at, and he says, if we focus on ASAP, the solution is definitive, although the process takes months. I think UEP and Avanzalia should go to a Tessa so that each one can present their concerns. It might
2: be helpful for us to focus on the material misrepresentation sure. where he kind of left off and just kind of build from there and maybe talk through the impossibility theory.
4: Sure. So let's go to the misrepresentation. First, and it's interesting, um, let's talk about the alleged misrepresentation with respect to other access agreements, okay? Because that's the one Mr. Dobie was just focusing on. Number one, that wasn't a Goldwyn slash UEP1 representation. Number two, their statement of material facts misquotes the exact document that it cites, and that's says material because, and it's page 4452 is the page, and what it said there is the translation is there were access agreements at the substation, not with the substation, and that's a material difference because that's what the actual document they cite says. And where it's important is because let's look at this project as a whole. It was originally UEP. They had approval for 338 megawatts connecting to the, su- to the substation, to build the substation to connect to the grid. It was for the entire project. The project gets subdivided into UEP, UEP1, and UEP2. UEP1, who we're talking about who owned the substation, and UEP2, which came online beginning in 2014 in terms of its agreements but UEP-1 and UEP-2 only took up 280 megawatts of the substation. So you still had part of the substation for which access was already existing with ATESA through the substation, it was unaccounted for, and that remainder is UEP. And that is what the other projects that had licenses from ATESA is recognized in the ASAP resolution from October 2017, they had access projects. They had licenses, and they had access through the original access for the entire area. That UEP part, that remainder, was owned by Rafael Perez-Piré, who was the original developer of the entire project. So the idea that there was a misrepresentation is misguided. First of all, their language is wrong. Again, you can check the documents, 24452. The translation is at the substation, not with the substation. And second, they had access by virtue of the original documents that provided access to the entire project. So there was absolutely no misrepresentation there regarding that. Number three, the misrepresentation they're even talking about is in Mr. Perez's email that they attached to ASAP. UEP-1 or Goldwyn that put any of the information before ASAP. Number four on that point, ASAP and its resolution, the June resolution in section 12.9, continuing through July and October, recognized the topology had changed, the single line diagram of where they were going to connect needed to be redone. It wasn't simply about are there new studies that need to be because new people have come online. ASEP says in their decision that the entire thing needs to be updated because the grid from 2014, when the original studies were done, had changed. And that's when we look at the ASEP resolution. So this issue of a fraud audit.
3: But the, you, you acknowledge the set resolution, July 2017 resolution, does discuss this idea that there are new solar projects that didn't have access agreements and there are solar projects that hadn't begun.
0: It, it, I, I, that's so how, how it. do
3: we know, because it's in there, they discuss it, how do we know that the regulatory authority isn't relying on those um, factual errors?
4: But it's not as- a representation that Goldwyn made, that UEP1 made. Goldwyn UEP1 never made a representation of these solar projects are there. It's not on us. Whether ASAP got it right or wrong, it's not a fraud perpetrated by UEP1. What they're trying to do is say, well, maybe ASAP made a mistake somewhere, and then what they're saying is, it's UEP1's fault. But UEP1 isn't the one that made a representation. And they're almost imparting some duty to correct. Again, they didn't raise it with ASAP. They were in the same position as UEP1. So why is it that all of a sudden, this is procured by fraud. And by the way, for fraud, we would need clear and convincing evidence of a fraud. Uh, the authority says, you know, it was within Judge Canelli's discretion to apply comedy to the ASAP rulings. And he could either do it or not. And within his discretion, even if he did find there was a fraud, he could still give comedy to those decisions. So it's not a mandatory, a if there's fraud, he can't do it. It's within his discretion, and they would need to show he abused his discretion in doing that. The more important point on this though is if we look at what they argued below, and well, there's do some Do you
2: contest though that I'm the underta- what, do you contest that the undertaking, specifically section two point three, was uh unlawful?
4: No, we don't. I mean I'm sorry, we contest it. We don't agree that it is unlawful number one. Number two, it's an issue that they raised in their initial complaint with ASEP back in 2016. In their initial complaint, and this is in our short appendix, we have it there, we, they argue that there's some kind of illegal preference given to UEP2 for access. So they're making reference to it, and ASEP didn't care about it from the beginning of 2016 when the arbitration started through the end. In particular, that is Act. in the ASAP um complaint where sorry it's on page short appendix 03 they say the third parties in fact apparent beneficiaries of an access preference given granted by UEP one in violation of the current regulations so they allege that in their initial complaint with ASAP in 2016 again that's at short appendix three it's in paragraph 11, three lines from the bottom of the page. So there's nothing about that that comes into play in terms of the, quote, illegal agreement, which, by the way, has a provision in it that says the agreement has to comply with Panamanian law. So mm-hmm. the idea that it was an unlawful agreement, no. We don't accept that premise, and we don't accept their interpretation of the agreement. Number three. They didn't even develop the argument before Judge Kennelly, which goes to the waiver issue. Their entire fraud argument before Judge Kennelly is six lines. It's six lines in their brief, and it's on page six of their summary judgment brief below. And what they say is that we misled ASAP into believing that the five new wind and solar projects were imminently about to connect, such to update the studies. We've addressed that issue that we allowed ASAP to erroneously believe the new projects had access agreements while affirmatively misrepresenting the new projects were ready to start construction in 2017, and we failed to inform them of our agreement that, they, that these two entities were working with UEP1 behind the scenes to review Panama's electrical studies. They never alleged below to Judge Kennelly that the agreement itself was a fraud on ASAP. I just read you the whole six sentences in their brief. They didn't make that argument. They didn't develop that argument. That argument is waived on appeal because of that.
0: Would it, would it matter? Are any of the allegations material?
4: No, they're <laughs> not material, number one. Number two, again, they would have to prove them by clear and convincing evidence in the first place. And then the issue is Judge Kennelly, within his discretion.
3: I, I want to cons- stop with that. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling to understand your, I, your view that <clears throat> it would be in Judge Canale's discretion if he found that this judgment were procured by fraud. I'm looking at that against the language of Hilton, the Supreme Court, yep. which says, you know, we, we're going to give comedy to these foreign judgments unless some special ground is shown for impeaching the judgment as by showing that it was affected by fraud or prejudice, dot, dot, dot. If that's the case, it should not be given full faith, full credit, and effect. So where are you getting this idea from that Judge Kelly would have some discretion if if fraud were shown? I know your position, there's no fraud. Right.
4: I'm taking some of the recent (laughs) cases that we cited in our brief where we talk about, um, I don't remember the case off the top of my head, where we talked about um, that it's within his discretion. I mean, for example, the case, um, if we look at Ingersoll Rand, even, number one, but number two, if we take the second circuit, there's a second circuit case um, that we cite that also gets to that point. But, Judge, I understand your, your We're point, subject which is... to
3: Hilton. Hilton is...
4: Right, and these are cases kind of subsequent to Hilton implying on Hilton, but you're right. I, we get there by saying, A, there was no fraud, B, they would have had to prove it by clearing convincing evidence, and then C, the decision ultimately of comedy is within Judge Kennelly's discretion.
0: And I take it that your argument is that what Judge Kennelly held was uh, that there was no support in the record for uh, the uh, contention uh, that the ASCP proceeding was tainted by fraud.
4: That's exactly right. And Judge Kennelly goes so far to say that, that the record is devo- is, does not contain, he says based on his review of the record, there's no evidence of fraud. And so when we look at Judge Kennelly, so the issue of the fraud as it applies in the comedy is actually a factual determination that Judge Kennelly makes for which he's entitled to do. There are certain decisions with respect to comedy that may be factual and some that are legal. This is a factual one. And, and so, so what it,
2: standard or review would we use for that factual determination?
4: Again, it's gonna be an abuse of discretion in terms of because of that, um, it would have to be that he was his manifest disregard because of it's his discretion to find that fact and the facts on a comedy analysis are within the district court's purview. It's not an issue that ever goes to the jury. It's an issue that Mr. the court makes.
0: Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blunder, um, is there anything in the um, allegedly fraudulent uh, 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 representations that would have impacted the requirements of the regulations? Or uh, did any of those representations uh, relate to whether uh, Avanzalia had fulfilled its obligations under it?
4: No. The issue of Avanzalia's abject failure to comply with the regulations, a fact that was known to them from the beginning, is unimpacted by this whatsoever. And frankly, they don't dispute at any point that they didn't comply, that they complied with the regulations. It's an acknowledgment. They didn't provide an access agreement in advance. They didn't. The studies weren't provided for comment by UEP1, the substation owner, in advance. Both are absolute requirements to be able to access the grid under the Panamanian electrical regulations. And here, the ASAP, the regulator in Panama, together with TESA, the entity charged with making the determination with respect to those regulations, made those regul made that decision.
2: But, but the, I think what we're dancing around, and I, I would kind of need to get a finer point on, is the reason ASAP requested updated studies and this is the, this is the allegation is because there were misrepresentations made by UEP1 that suggested that updated studies were needed that you could not provide um, this access without the updated studies from 2013 and so is it your contention that ASAP got it correct that there was a need for updated studies in 2017.
4: Our position is that ASAP, whether they got it right or wrong, okay, it doesn't matter because it wasn't based what the on a regulation fraud
2: states. From... It's more helpful for me if you answer my question okay. sure. directly. Sure. Our
4: position is that ASAP got it right that there was a need for studies that the database that they used did not include all the projects that were licensed, as reflected in the October resolution from ASAP.
2: Now, can you tell me why?
4: Because the study that they used in the, in the grid only accounted for the projects that were online, meaning UEP1 and UEP2, and didn't account for the other projects that had been licensed, which is what ASAP was caring about. They weren't included in it, so it needed to be updated. And again, Mr. Ruiz, who was their consultant, told them that in the first place. They knew it. So this wasn't a surprise to anyone.
3: If, With the time remaining, can you address um, the 766A issue? Sure,
4: in terms of the tortuous interference issue.
3: Yeah, and as you do,
0: uh, maybe... You could uh, tell us what you think is the best Illinois case that discusses uh, the principles of that the tortious conduct must be directed at third parties, uh, but also discusses impossibility of performance.
4: Okay, so I think there's a couple of cases that that kind of go to this issue. There's not an Illinois case that talks about impossibility, where it also, there isn't some evidence that the conduct was directed at someone, meaning that the alleged wrongdoer somehow got into a specific relationship and didn't interfere with a specific relationship. What they're essentially arguing is that impossibility reads Mm -hmm. directing completely out of Illinois law for both 766A and B, and they're saying it doesn't matter. It's basically, hey, so long as you make it impossible, and that's maybe I guess foreseeable to you, you can be liable. There is no Illinois case that goes there. The, you know, we talk about Havico, um, which Mr. Dobie was referencing, and Havico, the defendant had a bullseye on the third-party beneficiaries and third-party businesses, and what they did was they sabotaged those negotiations to secure the third party contract in exchange for the commission. Um, I think OTR transport is a case that's worth looking at because there the alleged conduct made it impossible for the performance. But what they did was they dismissed the claim there, it was Judge Durkin, I believe, citing the absence of any communication or something geared toward the prospective clients or customers. What they said is, hey, The fact that it was impossible for you to do it isn't enough. You have to actually interfere, get in the way of that relationship between either the people that there's a contract with or the prospective customer. And if there's no evidence that anyone did that, then, bless you, then there's no tort here. And so taking that back to our situation.
2: Well, how do we get around the Shulman case?
4: So Shulwin, first of all, Douglas Theater, which in the second Douglas Theater case, which comes after Shulwin.
2: Douglas they, Theater, as I mentioned earlier, dealt with torturous interference of expectancies.
0: Right, Shulwin
2: deals with tor- torturous interfe- interference of a contract. Right. And in Those Shulwin. are two separate claims, and right. so it might be helpful to take one claim at a time.
4: Okay, so let's talk about Shulwin, Okay. In Shulwin, the, def- the defendant's behavior was designed to thwart the third party from moving next door. So there was a specific third party that was targeted that was impacted by the conduct. The conduct was so targeted at third party, so there goes your directing issue. And second, the court holds that the plaintiff wasn't required to show that that the neighbors themselves breached the contract. So what happens is impossibility substitutes for the requirement of showing breach of the contract. It doesn't take away a directing requirement, and if you read Shulwin, again, the conduct was aimed at that one party in particular. It wasn't aimed at a hypothetical third party with whom there might be a relationship.
2: So those are expectancies. We have five contracts that were in place at the time of the conduct alleged. And the breach, it was impossible, what I've heard, it was impossible for them to complete their obligations to these five contracts because there was no access granted by goldman
4: and what they would have to show is that Goldwyn was aware of those contracts and specifically acted to make it impossible to perform those and that's
2: contracts. that's a question that the district court didn't answer
4: but there's no evidence they never argued it that we anything was directed targeted towards those third parties they never put anything in the record never made any argument to the district court that Goldwyn slash UEP1's conduct in any way was geared towards, was headed towards, wasn't even ca- contemplating those five contracts. But,
2: so, But again, the impossibility question is whether or not your conduct prevented them from being able to complete their obligations under those five contracts. Right,
4: and we're saying that the law would require, the law would create a tort under that circumstance that you're asking about Judge Pryor Uh if Goldwyn if there was evidence that Goldwyn was aware of those five but
3: Goldwyn knows that Avanzalia is not trying to build this uh, a station or connect and create this access just for the heck of it it's so that they can sell uh, 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 electricity to customers so there have got to be uh, contracts out there
4: not necessarily because in the Panamanian electric market you either sell under PPAs, power purchase agreements, or to the spot market where you just sell it to the market as a whole. So All of those there's no would be
3: contracts that would then be created.
4: But that's not good enough to simply say you know that it's being done for a customer theoretically out there somewhere. So the fact that it's just impacting theoretical people in the but world. I think
2: what we keep doing is collapsing the, the two claims. You're talking about expectancies and we're talking about the contracts that were in place.
4: Right, and I'm saying there has to be some knowledge of the particular contracts in place.
2: And Judge Kennelly didn't answer that question because he stopped at the impossibility theory.
4: Right, and I'm saying that, but there's nothing in the record and they never argued for Judge Mm -hmm. Kennelly that there was knowledge by Goldwyn slash UEP1 of any of those contracts in particular, such there's no basis in the record to conclude that uep1 interfered with the contracts by directing anything towards those five contracts
2: i thought on page 58 of your brief you do concede that you knew about the contract
4: that's a different contract that's an issue of tova in 2016 and the pre acts the pre-2017 conduct it's a different Mm -hmm. issue judge they're talking about the I'm con- talking
2: about were you aware of the contract you said nowhere below did they argue the, the five contracts, contracts that right.
4: post date 2017. Mm-hmm. the one contract of Tova we're not disputing that we were aware they had a contract with Tova and that was in 2016 and that's prior yeah. to the issues of the ASEP and the comedy rulings taking out any issue from pre-2017 conduct the issue they're trying oh, right. to raise is contracts that were signed after 2017 and 2018, et cetera, where I, we I had
2: disagree no knowledge that that's of their, those. that. I disagree that that's their argument, but I understand your position. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll learn in a minute. Do oh. you want to make a final anything or uh, are you? No. Mr. No. Okay. Then thank you very very much. Well, you know what you've got to answer.
1: Okay. Thank you, Judge Rovner. If I can uh, first go to the point, I think that Judge Pryor, you were asking about knowledge of the different contracts and the like. And again, page forty-eight of our opening brief, they they admit that defendant. This is their answer. They admit in their answer, defendant clearly know that knew. The connecting through the El Coco substation through the access contract was a necessary step to sign the, the ATESA contract to obtain access to the national grid, which in turn was required for Avanzalia to operate the solar plant pursuant to its license to sell electricity to the customers on the spot market and through the power purchase agreements. So it's direct, it's reasonably foreseeable, it's the exact standard that we cite the case of Decent. Um, I think it's Decent. Uh, that, that Addresses that that issue number two. We also cite the ASAP license itself as a contract That's in our motion for summary judgment um, uh, Below but that's the ASAP license was 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 an agreement in itself as a it related Judge Rover your question about the existing and uh, access contracts and whether or not uh, there was uh, There the, the space was already taken. He said that they had existing access agreements and the like Um, there were no other contracts with the substation that's the point that's what we had to do um, and that's what anybody else uh, did and we cite docket 166 uh, 7 uh, exhibit 94 in fact those three of the other solar plants actually had to bring claims uh make claims to get access back in 2020 so there were not anybody else that had uh, contracts with the substation. They have the licenses with the Panamanian regulators, that's what Mr. Blonder is talking about, but it actually an agreement, the answer is no. Um, as it relates to defects in the proceeding uh, in, in Panama, uh, uh, we strongly disagree with that. Uh, Avinçalya followed to the letter exactly the process that they're supposed to do. ATESA told us, you start with the ATESA certificate of viability. Go to ASEP, and then you get your access agreement. They didn't have an opportunity. They had 10 days to review our studies. They didn't get it, not because we didn't send it to them. They keep talking about a breach. They only would take it from ATESA, because this is confidential information. We're not allowed to send it to a third party. That's covered in the, in the breach uh, uh, below. Um, uh, but we, we, we scrupulously uh, uh, complied. Um, the question on, on Sholwin... And, and Mr. Blonder's reading of it, that argument that he makes is, oh, it's it's just a, uh, a directed toward case. That's the reason why the appellate court reversed the district court. The district court said that the facts that he that he just walked us through, that that wasn't directed towards, and the the Shulman appellate court said, well, we're gonna we're gonna find impossibility here, and we're gonna hold up the tortious interference with contract on that basis. Um, I think, Your Honors.
3: I, I'm struggling to understand one thing before you go. Yes. Um, how this ASAP license is a contract. By my reading of it, it gives Avanzalia the right to operate a solar panel. It doesn't require Avanzalia to do something vis a vis ASAP or require ASAP to do something for Avanzalia, which is what a contract would look like. So just help me understand that.
1: I, I think that's 100% fair. I think you and I are saying the same thing. Well, away. no, because
3: you called it a contract. I,
1: there's there's cases that call licenses, and your rights under under a license and an agreement with uh, with the regulators. And, and we've we've cited the, I think it's, yeah, it's uh, Azerbaijani versus Village of Worth. It's at page uh, 22 of our of our summary judgment brief. That that's right. that's my reference to okay. why why it be an agreement. If there's nothing else, thank well, you very much.
0: You're so welcome, and thanks to Mr. Dobie, and thanks to Mr. Blonder, and the case will be under taken under advisement, and um,